You're listening to On the Couch with Carly. Carly's Couch is a safe space to talk. I'm a psychologist, but I'm not your pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing stereotype. Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Couch with Carly. Today's topic is a interesting one for me, and I have to be very honest that I have been struggling to put this episode together. I recorded a full 36 minutes of talking a couple of weeks ago, and then when I listened back to it, I felt uncomfortable, and I haven't been able to bring myself to record another episode. And I think the reason is because I am scared of getting it wrong. I'm scared of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. Not so much because I'm scared of criticism, although I honestly don't know who could be more critical of myself than me, but because I really think this is important and I want to be a role model. I want to be an example of how I think we should be in the world as white people. Um, So let me just tell you a little bit about the episode that I recorded and why I felt uncomfortable. I was planning to... I just realized I still have my mask on. That's hilarious. (laughs) I'm going to take my mask off. (laughs) Oh, my word. This is a... This is a post-COVID podcast where your host forgets that they're still wearing their mask. But I'm leaving this in because I think it's important. This is our life. We live this weird life. Um, Okay, so here I am, mask off. And mask off, right? This is me revealing something about myself and, and this process. So last time I tried to address this, I sat down and I recorded an episode and my hope, my intention was to show, to demonstrate that my anti-racism work and the way I understand racism, anti-racism, being a white ally has shifted and changed as I've learned about racism, as I've learned about um, unconscious bias, as I've been growing and evolving as someone who is recognizing my privilege, etc., etc. And I, although I think all of that is valid and, and my intention for kind of sharing my story was to show that we're all on a journey here. This is, there's no like ultimate end goal and we have to learn humility. We have to learn that we're going to get it wrong, that we we are evolving. And so what we know today is not complete and we might learn something tomorrow, but also that there's a shifting cultural narrative and that, that as that changes, we have to adapt and we have to meet the moment, you know. And so what the whole point of my um, initial thinking around this episode would be to link to the first um, episode of the season, which was about... 2020 and you know the year that's been and and I think just to say that for me after corona and the pandemic the single most important thing that's come out of 2020 was the Black Lives Matter movement um you know and following the the death the murder of of George Floyd in America and how that has set a kind of global ripple effect um and we're all still keeping 
keeping our eyes open around racism and prejudice, racial prejudice, much more than we were before that. And and I really value that. And I wanted to show how my eyes were opened after that, even though I considered myself an ally before, you know, that that was something I've now come to realize was falling short until I was re-educated last year and how my I've taken this re-education very seriously and now I see it differently. I see my role differently. But what I was finding was that as I was speaking and listening back to myself was it was very much about me. It was very much about my development, my myself, my feelings. And I, I realized that made me feel uncomfortable. I, I, I don't want this to be about me and my experiences. And I don't want this to, to also be about me kind of trying to prove that I've got it right and that I'm handling my race, you know, my internalized racism better than others or that I'm aware, you know, more than others. And, and I'm really aware of this kind of pitfall that of just kind of any kind of promotion of one's anti-racist work feels like it it really can lead to some sort of performative, um, ex- you know, an example of, of performative activism. And I don't want to do that. So I'm very nervous to put anything out there that isn't genuinely helpful for others and genuinely adds to the space. You know, I want to feel like there's a contribution being made that I that I can assist others and me just telling my story yes it is useful it is helpful to see how other people have been humbled along their journey and had to you know go back to the drawing board and realize that there's another way to do things and that it's okay to to say you know I'm not doing it okay I need to change it but what I found was that the, the conclusion of that episode sounded like so I'm doing well now thanks you know I've got this under my belt and all of this has been, I've been mulling over it and I've been working out what, what is the solution here? Like, what can I actually offer to this conversation that isn't just me taking up more space? Um, and also, I've been wrestling with this concept of um, re- like anti-racism as um, self-improvement for white people, something that Rachel Cargill has said is, you know, this is, she's strongly against this, you know, that being anti-racist is not self-improvement for white people. Do not look at it like that. And I've really been struggling and grappling with that and thinking about that and working out how to not feel good about taking on anti-racism, you know, work or being an anti-racist activist on, say, for example, Instagram. Like, how do you not feel good about yourself for taking part in something like that? Um, and it's not that you shouldn't feel good about yourself, but feeling good about yourself shouldn't be the primary objective, right? And so my this podcast that I'd recorded just felt too self-promoting. It just felt too, just too much of me going on about how good I am, like what a good white I am. And I feel like that's such a, um, yeah, it's such a it's such a trap, especially in South Africa. Um, and I I attended this workshop this webinar on Saturday with um, a group of women and it was hosted by an incredible woman called Mayuri Govender. She runs a Instagram account called Breaking Brown Silence and she's also just launched her own consultancy firm and she, um, she, she calls it um, BBS Consulting um, or BDI Consulting and 
she runs diversity workshops and she talks about all this anti-racist work and unconscious bias and tokenism and all the things that we kind of know the buzzwords of, but we don't really know how to unpack it together. And she facilitates these processes. And I had a real experience um, with this workshop. I had an embodied, real, lived experience. And I thought, this is the end. This is what I want to share. This is what I want to bring today, which I think is something that feels more meaningful and it doesn't feel like it's a look how good I am experience. It feels like a sharing um, sharing of shame in a way, like a kind of confession, if you know, if you will. So that's that's the orientation of today. And I'm really excited that the next episode I will be having Mayuri on the podcast and we will be having a chat about all of these things and about anti-racist work and about the toll that it has on one's mental health and how to take care of yourself while you are a brown person or person of color who is navigating this world um, and who is already putting themselves out there as uh, someone who is doing the work. You know, I think it also leads to even more flack. I think you get even more attention and difficult, you know, you have to have difficult conversations when you're saying to the world, I'm standing up for these people. So, yeah, that's that's next week. But today, I just want to talk to you about something that I learned at this webinar that I think is so vital, so important. And it's it's cemented something in me. It's given me this grounded feeling of like, what is this work and why do we need to do it? And what relevance does it have to my work as a psychologist? So here it is. That was 10 minutes of preamble. <laughs> okay. So what I learned and what can what I'm connecting with at the moment is this idea of prejudice, bias, the idea that we are designed as human beings to think about things in categories, to, to categorize our reality, to say these things belong in this category and these things are excluded from that category. And this is developmentally um, needed. I mean, we, we have to work out how to do that to, to, to manage existence, to manage life. Um, but what happens is that we also um, encode information via our emotions. And this is when it becomes really interesting. So whereas when we're calm and when we're, when we're feeling at ease, we have a much greater capacity for understanding nuance, for seeing the gray, you know, and not just in black and white, but when we are under threat, when our system has a sense that it, there is a perceived threat or danger, then our system responds in a much more black and white way. There's, neuro, there's neurological basis for this. And Mayuri speaks about the amygdala in the brain, which is our emotional center, and how our, um, our threat system is obviously activated when we are told that something is dangerous or something is not safe for us. And what's really tricky is that the these um, categories that are considered unsafe or dangerous are often taught 
via the culture. So whatever culture you're in, and, and I don't mean just like your culture as in, I don't know, Jewish, Muslim, Indian. I mean like the society that you live in and the structure of that society. There are certain messages you're getting all the time, you were given all the time, that, that tell you about what's safe or who's safe or who's unsafe. And so depending on what understanding you have of the world, you're going to have interpreted certain categories as unsafe. Now, we know that in South Africa, for example, we were really overtly told, taught, that black people are dangerous you know, the swart gefaar, the black danger. And all over the world, there is an anti-blackness rhetoric. And part of how that's taught is it's taught through fear. And the fear is encoded in the messaging of separation, of saying black people are different from white people, different from colored people, different from Indian people, example, in South Africa. And so even though we, we might not consciously think, I'm afraid of black people, we have absorbed these messages into our subconscious. And so what we have to understand, and this is what Freud always spoke about, um, and actually Mayuri mentioned Freud, go Freud. Um, and that is that the unconscious is like an iceberg. So what we can see is usually just the tip. What we have awareness of what we have what we can actually um see and and gain awareness into is is just a tiny tiny amount and then what's underneath the surface is actually much bigger and so we can't access our unconscious thoughts and feelings and drives and desires most of the time but they are very much in charge and responsible for our behavior for our actions for our thoughts and often for, and for our feelings, right? For how we automatically respond with an emotional reaction. So just to clarify, what I'm saying is that racism is an emotional issue. We can tackle it th with thoughts and we, we can address the, the kind of intellectual side of things by understanding the history and understanding what it means but if you really want to tackle your own racism your own biases that you need to connect with your emotions you need to connect with your sense of perceived threat and what i realized is that what threat is about is about someone taking something away from you or someone threatening your existence or someone harming you, yeah, making you scared, making you, um, yeah, lose something. And so the question I have for you, and it's a difficult question, but when, when do you feel like being inclusive makes you feel threatened and we had this really fascinating discussion about um like transgender for example right so this is not in terms of race but in terms of transgender some people are uncomfortable to include transgender people and it's difficult to 
um, use different language, like having to use language that um, is inclusive of all gender identities and not just the binary identities of male and female. And the question is, well, why is why is that? Why do we resist being inclusive? Why is it hard? And I, I think we can say, you know, any change we resist and it's difficult to, to, to shift and change. But when I unpack it a little bit further, I recognize that we're holding on to something that we feel is ours. And we feel that if we open up, if we let down those parameters, you know, if we if we include more um, than just who we think is included in this category, then we are going to lose something, something that's ours, something that's special, something that feels safe because it's protected, because it's got these parameters, um, you know, that that's going to be taken away from us. And how, for the most part, that's actually not even true, that what we're really doing is we're we're, we're saying kind of welcome to the party. Like, let's all hang out together here. Let's make this. Uh, this is what Shimananda and Korsi Adichie always say. She says she doesn't decide that, you know, one feminist is, is, is better than another feminist because they're, you know, performing X instead of Y. She says, let all the feminists come to the party. Let's make this a big, noisy, loud, you know, rambunctious affair. Like, Bring them all in. We can all party together. We can all have this space together. Um, and Mayuri actually mentioned how, you know, when she does diversity trainings with like, for example, work, you know, work environments and they say, well, you know, essentially if like if, if they're asked to, to supply food that is for other race groups, you know, then they say, well, won't the white people be, you know, won't, won't they feel like they're not getting enough of their food, you know, because... Now they've got to eat other cultures' food. And she was saying, but the alternative to that is, wow, they get to experience all this other food, you know, and actually how great to have a diverse range of food, how how great to be exposed to different flavors or to have, you know, more variety, more options. So so that's the, the sort of why, right? That's the why. The why is we need diversity. We need to be exposed. We will benefit from having a more inclusive environment to exist in. But my feelings and, and my my work that I'm doing on myself and where I think I'd be useful in this podcast is for us to think about why that's hard for us. Because it's all good and well to say, this is why you need to be diverse, you know. This is why diversity is great. This is why we should all be so so much more inclusive. Yes, of course, of course. But it's not always that easy. It's easier said than done. And there's a reason for that. And that is because those emotional systems that are built in for our survival, built in to protect us, built in to show us when something is threatening, when something might make us feel unsafe, and that we have to act, we have to guard ourselves, that those systems are going to work, whether our intellectual prefrontal cortex minds know, it or, you know that it's useless or not there's an emotional center that's going to take charge and we need to we need to think through that we need to deal with that we need to emotionally connect with it so that's what i want to do today okay so this is where the work gets more in depth and that is when we start to actually unpack what gets us threatened what makes us feel uncomfortable you know 
there's different kinds of biases. There's different ways that we discriminate against some of others. You know, for for some people, it's um, around race, and we are inherently, or because of our our training, our social training, we 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 automatically fear or respond with um with prejudice with um with fear around people of color and sometimes it's there's a hierarchy of that so people who are darker are scarier or you can say black people are scarier um then say for example indian people some some white people will feel that way now others will have more will feel more prejudice along the lines of social economic status so they don't mind you know they don't see their black doctor who's highly educated and speaks well and drives a mercedes benz someone that they have to fear but they might recoil when they see a black person walking down the street who's in tatty clothes and looks like they may be homeless and immediately think threat 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 right now i want to acknowledge that although these prejudices and biases are problematic and we need to work through them we need to understand them i also want to just acknowledge that for the most part we are never going to be free of bias like there's no one walking this planet right now who is totally free of bias i don't believe you know there's all sorts of ways that we select certain people over others to trust and and feel less safe with certain groups over others right and i want you to think about your prejudices your biases i want you to think honestly about who do you automatically not trust or automatically feel unsafe around because of the color of their skin the language they speak their lack of education or their that's the kind of education they have or the clothes they wear or the country they're from or the way they speak english or um their gender or their body size you know or their attractiveness level you know we're doing this all the time we're judging people based on things we perceive as to have that that we consider to have a hierarchy and the, there is there is a hierarchy we know there is right because white western bodies are at the top of that hierarchy we have to acknowledge that so this is not random you're not you're not likely to just choose randomly who you who you most threatened by there is a system that we are subject to you know there's a system that we have that we've bought into along the way um not due to our own volition you know we it's it's impossible to free ourselves from the system for most for most of us so i want you to to first of all give yourself permission to connect with these biases and prejudices to see it and to say okay this is me this i i see myself in this um because the the hardest thing is to first admit it right to just get to that point where you go okay this is happening um and we can't admit it if we're in an environment where that is going to immediately be used against you and you're going to feel persecuted so i think 
One of the most beautiful things about Mayuri's group is how safe she makes it feel. She talks about a safe and brave space. And, you know, I think that's what we all need. We need to be, we need to find groups of people who are relatively like-minded or who are in the relatively similar stages of the journey, who come together to connect with these parts of us that are that are not great. We don't want to be like this, but we are aware that they're happening and they're happening automatically. And to to create safe spaces, to connect bravely around these topics, to own these things, to to voice them, to to share them. It is, like I said in the beginning, a sharing of shame, a, a you know, a kind of confessional space. And I feel inspired by that, you know, because we need to we need to own these emotions so that we can f- be free from them as well and and the only way to do that is to take it out of that threat fear zone and make it safe right um so i just wanted to say another thing that really stuck with me from the course and that is we are most likely to exhibit these biases and prejudices when we are ourselves in a vulnerable state. So when our physical and emotional selves are under threat or are um, tired or are worn out, we're going to be much more likely to react from a place of prejudice or bias. So I thought that was really interesting. So the most important thing for you to understand is that it's going to happen and you need to give yourself the chance when you're in a less threatened state to work through some of these things so that when it comes up when you're when you're put in a in a vulnerable state and it comes up for you um, that you know that you have tools to work on it and yeah so so what I what I really wanted you to connect with today was just to to think about your own prejudices um, so for me one of the things I'm recognizing is that I have um, social eco- socioeconomic status prejudice or what I usually refer to as classism that I'm really grappling with. And I'll tell you how, I, how it shows up for me. And that is when, when I am trying to manage the competing thoughts and feelings that I have around homeless people or beggars or people who are living on the streets who I on the one hand, feel pity for and feel um, empathy for. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that feels like maybe I'm under threat and maybe I'm unsafe and maybe I need to watch my bag or my phone or whatever it is that I'm with at that moment um, because something might get taken from me. Something that I have that they don't have is under threat. And when those moments happen, I'm much more likely to act from a place of prejudice. So instead of seeing an individual in front of me, a person, I'm seeing a homeless person. I'm categorizing, I'm generalizing. Or instead of seeing a person, I'm seeing a drug addict. I just automatically see this person as like, you know, unsafe, um, doesn't know what they're doing, doesn't know how to make, um, you know, logical decisions, Basically just danger, danger, danger. 
and emotionally I'm responding to the situation from that black or white place. Like this is either safe or it's unsafe. This is either a danger or I'm, you know, like I have to make that immediate decision. Um, so emotionally what I'm doing is I've got this like an alert threat happening inside of me. And so I'm not really seeing the world in nuance then. And I'm not really capable of recognizing that this person may have value to my life. I just want to get away, right? I just want to get away. I just want to be away from that. And so I'm really noticing that and grappling with it. And it's really tricky for me. And I want you to know that I'm not resolved on on that. I'm I'm not managing it. I'm not better than anyone else at figuring this stuff out. I am in the process of figuring it out. And I don't think that that's bad. I, I've, I've come to realize that the fact that I'm figuring it out, that I'm honest and open about these struggles and that I want to share this and ask for help around this is okay. And, and it's good enough for now, you know. Um, and as I learn tools along the way, I'm going to share that. Um, one of the big take-homes from the workshop was about diversifying your circle. And that means truly actively joining forums and, and, and you know, networks, real and online, where you're mixing with diverse people, people from different ethnic, cultural, religious, um, you know, all sorts of backgrounds that are different from yours so that you can actually hear, listen to, experience other people's lived experiences because that's the key is that there are people other than me, people who are other to me and I need and I need to not other them. I need to see them, see that they're different, see their differences but to really know them, to really be curious about their lived experience and to value what they might teach me um, because that is the opposite of threat, right? But actually leaning in and valuing and and feeling that richness, feeling that abundance of, of having more, not less, right? So that's really m my message that I'm leaving you with is, is that there, there is so much to benefit, you know, us by opening up, by being more inclusive, by listening to other people's stories. And that's not a bad thing. It's not like it should be something we do solely as, a, um, as an altruistic act. I don't actually believe in altruism, by the way. Um, but but that it's something that will benefit us and that, of course, we need to learn about others. We need to include others in our world. Um, but that there is, there is a kind of, it's, a, it's an intentionality that's really important to recognize. Not to do it from a tokenism standpoint, you know, not to do it because it's good to have a mix of friends or, oh, I, I need this black friend to make my friendship circle complete. You know, it looks good on social media if I show that you have a black friend, that sort of thing. Like, eek, no, it's not that. It's because there is something to learn. There is something to gain. Um, I am really curious about you. I do really want to know what your lived experience is like. And of course I do. I'm a psychologist. That's my 
job is to learn about people's lived experiences in depth and and I love it that's my that's my biggest joy from my work is learning another person's existence um so yeah that's where I'm at right now on this journey next week we'll be talking to Mayuri and I'm so excited I can't wait to share um you with her and her with you and and just to get the real pearls of wisdom because I've just been blabbing on about this but she really knows what she's doing um with regards to this she's she's super so until then thanks for listening to me I appreciate it please send me your comments and ideas info at on the couch with Carly or Carly at on the couch with Carly or you can message me on Instagram I'm at on the couch with Carly thank you so much and I'll be with you next week bye this podcast is recorded at Edible Audio in Cape Town, South Africa. Edited by Edible Audio. Original music by Alex Smiley.